Hey, so how's it going? Um, well, it's Friday. It's morning time. We're going to be finished. This has been the best schedule ever, and it's all over. I know. Back to reality next week. Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Give us money. <laughs> or listen, um, we begged our patrons. Maybe our wider audience has a connection. Yeah. Yeah, we also. True. We also want to take $100 million from Betsy DeVos, so if you we have do. any connections. <laughs> and we're not as crappy as Elizabeth Holmes, so, you know, right. it's for a good cause. We'll, right. We'll just be honest with her that we just want to take her money. We just want your money. Um, <laughs> and we also, um, I love working on this schedule. I cannot believe, oh, I'm so sad. It's fine. It's all fine gonna be fine it's okay (laughs) (laughs) well um i am glad for the schedule because especially with our patreon those of you who are not members um did not get to hear any of our ghost stories this month no um but as you told me a really horrible story and the lights went out and it was 10.30 a.m. At least the lights went out at 10.30 a.m. But you know what? There are no windows in this room, so it felt nope. just like midnight over here. It sure did. <laughs> um, and I'm going to tell you another terrible story. Um, I just apparently chose violence this week. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. And I will say up here at the top, um, this was going to be our Halloween special, but between recovery and my own life being hectic we move things around a little bit but um, I figure a few days after Halloween we're still in the Halloween spirit yeah as it turns out when they take multiple organs out of your body like it takes a while to feel better after that it's weird that I think you're making that up I mean, listen not Aaron <laughs> one time I had the flu and I felt just fine so <laughs> Oh, God. Yes, well. Well, I am glad that you are upright, and I'm glad that you are feeling better. Me too. I'm feeling better, but that unfortunately means that I have to go back to my regular job and make money the regular way. (laughs) Oh, Um, goodness. So, surely, though, while you've been home, you've gotten some, like, TV watching done. Have you watched anything good? I have not turned on the TV like more than twice. Have you not? No. You've been reading or? I have been reading. Um, Okay. I finished The X-Hex, which was great. Oh, yeah, I saw that. So good. Um, I finished We Were Never Here, um, which was great until the last paragraph and then that was so confusing that it lost an entire star for me. Oh. On the oh, last paragraph. Uh, it made it just made no sense to me. It didn't fit with the book. Um, I really need the author to answer some questions because I didn't understand it. So, um, yeah. It just, oh, it who's didn't that joining fit. our call right now? And here we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, it, it didn't fit. And I was like, um, that didn't belong there. You didn't have to do that it doesn't fit with the rest of the story and um now i'm mad so (laughs) i get it and i am in the middle of oh what is it called it was my other or one of my other book of the month picks this month 
Um, my account. Nope. Box. Everything we didn't say, um, which is really interesting and good. I'm excited about it. So, and the November picks are out, so I need to pick one today, and hopefully oh, yeah, it won't I get lost in the well. mail. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that our picks for book of the month almost never align. I know. We almost never pick the same thing. It's interesting. But because. Hmm. Mine for October were um, uh, the Lincoln Highway and Mexican Gothic. Mm-hmm. And um, Mexican Gothic was so good. I've not started the Lincoln Highway yet. I bought Mexican Gothic um, while we were in D.C. And I, I started it, but I haven't finished it. So hopefully this weekend I'm going to get to do that as well. So I'm... <laughs> trying to to do as much as I can I am so behind on my reading goal for the year and so I'm working as fast as I can to get kind of caught up so that maybe I can finish it right um well like I told you last year I think I read eight books seven or eight books total which is unlike me and so I really have been sticking to it so I can do 50 and I think I want to get to about 54 if I stay on this track that's awesome. Um, My goal is 75. And so far, I've only read 52. So. Yeah. Which, you're a much faster reader than me, and I'm always envious of that. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I have so, so many arcs that I need to read and review, too. Like, it's too much. So. I've pa- Yeah, I've paused arcs for a while. I need to, um, as well. I need to catch up, and then and then can get back into it but every time now that people reach out to me with them i'm like damn it but i want to read that and it's so annoying so yeah so i've just gotten really good at saying like i can't at this time but keep me in mind for future projects thank you so much yeah um so that you keep a good relationship with those people i will say aaron that this is unlike me but i watched lula rich last week so like (gasps) that's current so yeah. good did you love I started it squid game yesterday oh yeah i have no desire to watch squid game but um it's not it's not my cup of tea but i wanted to watch something that people are watching because when mm-hmm. does that ever happen but lula rich yes is straight up my wheelhouse like that is oh so good too it was so well done and Sarah well and Sarah walked by while I was watching it and she was like in the middle of work and she just sat down like kind of open mouthed eyes eyes glazed and I was like do you want me to pause this so we can watch it together and she was like Mm -hmm. yeah let me go get my computer I need to do some work (laughs) so we would put put our little boy in bed and then watch Lula Rich and it was so good it's like the perfect marriage Listen, after 10 years, we finally found it. Like, you just, you hit your stride. You, I, I guess so. I wouldn't know. <laughs> it, it took 10 years of practice. And by that, I mean, we we have always been very good at that, if nothing else, mm-hmm. at being yeah. intuitive to like, hey, we can sit down and do work in the same room and put something on that we both like. So yeah. last night, what we watched was Sarah Milliken's comedy stand-up uh, one of her specials. I don't remember which one, but she is huh. so funny. If you're not familiar with her, I'm not. She's British and she's kind of crass, and I think you would like her a lot. 
I probably would. Well, now that there's a big John Mulaney-sized hole in my heart, I need to fill it with something. Yeah. 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 But I do want to be Amory Tendler when I grow up. Is it Tendler, her last name? Yeah. That sounds right. She started a TikTok, and it's incredible. And um, oh, I love yeah? her. So, mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I want to be her um, when I grow up. <laughs> well... Um, do you want to get into, I guess, let's start with the premise of this week's special since yes. we've gone off and now it's, we're almost 10 minutes Way in. This off. is Lifetime Sentence <laughs> and I'm Paul. I'm Erin. <laughs> um, and this week, instead of presenting to you our typical feature that we always do, um, Erin and I both took a horror movie that mm-hmm. is inspired by true crime and uh-huh. we present to you I think Aaron's um, is going to be a little bit more involved like the recap of the actual film because yes. you had a little bit of help yes. um, and, well I don't watch we'll... horror movies I don't <laughs> right. I'm like aggress- I aggressively avoid them So, but our research assistant Fran loves them so I was like I'm going to make you watch this movie and tell me about it so she did yep and so this week we bring you, um, Aaron. What did you watch? I well, what watch did Fran watch? <laughs> <laughs> Borderlands. Borderlands. That's right. And I bring you Scream. Yes, so. Scream. I actually have seen. And it's been a long time, but I have seen it. Um, yeah. So off the top, this movie recap is provided by research assistant Fran, who says, "Quote." If this ends up sucking, you owe me. Just kidding. You terrify me. On with the show. <laughs> and next to that, I just wrote, Am I? Looks like a cinnamon roll will kill you. We'll say that again. Am I? Looks like a cinnamon roll, but will kill you. Have you seen that thing on TikTok where it's like, Looks like a cinnamon roll is a cinnamon <laughs> roll. Looks like a cinnamon roll will kill you. Looks like we'll kill you is a cinnamon roll. Looks like we'll kill you will kill you. I can't answer this without in some way incriminating myself. So sure. Okay. Okay. You pick your identity. I don't I'm just know. kidding. I'm just <laughs> confused. I was like, I don't understand. I'm learning recently. I've learned that people are afraid of me and I don't know why. You for some reason... Are, are the muscle in our friend group in a way that like I've never understood either <laughs> like I don't even have muscles I, I don't get it <laughs> I'll tell you what you do have you have the fastest fingers in the west and mm-hmm. when somebody goes that one step too far mm-hmm. you send a text that is this long faster than mm-hmm. I can read what they said to piss you off <laughs> And so I think that's what it is. And it's not ever, it's never a bad thing. Like you say exactly what needs to be said, but it just oh, happens good. so fast that I get whiplash and I'm like, wait, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, a brief background on the film. It was released in two, oh, by the way, like these are my notes on notes. So this should be fun. <laughs> yes. Um, A brief background on the film, it was released in 2007, written and directed by Zev Berman, co-written by Eric Poppin. It stars Brian Presley, who hails from Midland, Texas, 
Fran inserted a note about not knowing how Texas work works, and maybe one of us knows where that is. And um, that yeah, I absolutely do. <laughs> and to that, I say it's a hell of a lot closer to Mexico than Galveston, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, he was in a show called Port Charles from 2000 2003. Um, and more importantly, this movie stars the man, the myth, every 90 girl's bad boy, and I can fix him awakening, a.k.a. the reason that I, Aaron, cannot find a stable relationship. <laughs> Ryder Strong, a.k.a. Sean freaking Hunter himself. Yes. Um, no one else matters in this movie. Um so the short elevator pitch that Fran wrote is three college friends go to Mexico and find a human sacrifice cult as you do <laughs> the longer synopsis is as follows the movie starts with inspired by true events which we all know is the hallmark of a cinematic masterpiece oh yeah we'll get to the true events don't worry um, we start in Galveston Texas where we meet Ed Henry and Phil who, who by decree from research assistant Fran will henceforth be known as Dude, Bro, and Sean Hunter. <laughs> also, could they have picked any more generic white boy names? Like, no. It's like they were placeholder names and they got to the making of the movie and they're like, oh shit, we forgot to rename them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, our merry band of gentlemen have a bro road trip moment and decide to drive to Mexico from Galveston. And when we get to the real story, like, they could have just gone with what word they came from in the real story, but... Do you see my face? Never, <laughs> yeah. Um, Galveston to Mexico um, is about 400 miles from the border, um, but I have no idea that, what town that would put you in. Um, so they go and stop in the first strip club they find. Um, immediately recruiting a sex worker to sleep with Sean Hunter. Um, I do that for free, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Bro, meanwhile, goes to get a shot and starts talking slash flirting with the bartender. When another patron grabs her by the hair and calls her a fucking bitch in Spanish, which is very aggressive, the bartender slaps him. And good for her. Why are your lights already out? <laughs> Watch, I'm going to throw this book at it and it still won't come on. Probably. Like it's supposed to, okay. That's why I turn on all the lamps in here. I have my ring light. <laughs> I have my light behind me. Look, here, I'm going to help you out. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Just the light underneath my face. It was a dark no. and stormy night. No. There are um, footsteps on my ceiling. A black cat ran <laughs> Bro steps in, and no doubt this will end badly. Um, update, it ended badly. Uh, bro <laughs> manages to get himself stabbed. Awesome. The bartender patches him up, and he tells her that she could be a cleanup hitter for the Astros, um, in case anyone forgot they were from Texas. Also, the Astros are in the, the World Series. I almost at the Super Bowls. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, I hate baseball. I hate baseball. Um... I would rather, you know, in Bad Moms, when she said, when she says, I'd rather go to Afghanistan than to watch another baseball game. Uh-huh. Same. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say it like this, but I think we're conditioned to as Texans. Like, I know we have baseball teams, but I think we're conditioned to hate them. 
like we watch the Rangers because it's not football season, and no Who one watches, watches the, the Rangers. Oh, Everyone so. watches the Astros. I'm from North Texas. No, you're not. You're from East Texas. I'm from Northeast Texas. Like we are up here. No one, okay. no one where I'm from watches anything from down where y'all are. Ooh, and nothing from Houston. Why would we watch anything from Houston? Well, I don't know because the Astros are in the Super Bowl. I, I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> God um, damn it! Because the Astros are finally getting the. Oh fuck! I was going to make a hockey joke, but I lost it. I mean, to be fair, they Stanley Cup there. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, this is the second time they've been to the World Series, or pro- the second time in the past. But few weren't years, they cheating the last time? They... No, no. I thought there was a cheating scandal in the. Astros. Are you thinking of the Patriots? That's Tom Brady. That's football. <laughs> I know that. The balls. Um, anyways, the bartender Valeria confides in Bro that her ex-husband just hated how he, she could handle herself. Um, I, yeah, Astros were cheating in 2017. They were caught cheating in 2017. I didn't think I was crazy. I don't know. They still won the Super Bowl. I don't Sorry, not that it matters at all. I just knew one sports thing, and I had to mansplain it to you. It was a Thank requirement because I knew one sports thing. Okay. Um, while all this is happening, <laughs> Sean Hunter is with the sex worker whose name we obviously don't know because misogyny. He tells right. her he's nervous and then asks her to remove the bleeding Jesus painting from the brothel room. Research assistant Fran inserts a personal note here, quote, My parents have that exact painting just in black and white over their bed. It's every bit as gruesome in person. And her parents wonder why they have an overdramatic goth as a daughter. Um, <laughs> turns out the sex worker has a baby who really harshes their vibe, so no smexy time for them. Um, which his friends make fun of him for, but I can confirm that trying to have sex while a baby cries in the next room is not a vibe. Uh, <laughs> um, so the boys meet up with uh, Valeria, I guess? Or is it Valeria? I don't know. And her cousin Lupe to take, acid and, to take acid and go to a carnival. All very good ideas when you're in a foreign country. Um, Sean Hunter says he's not feeling well and separates from the group. Every woman on Earth knows not to go to a secondary location or separate from the group. And Fran wrote, Street Smarts! <laughs> R.I.P. John Mulaney. Hmm. But these are white dudes, so they don't know that bad things sometimes happen. Um, Bro starts having an acid-induced self-discovery trip, but that gets interrupted by Sean Hunter being kidnapped. Um, they really should have just called this movie Ryder Strong Gets Kidnapped in the... Uh, in this one and it would have been so much more popular um, as women flocked to the theaters to make sure he got rescued but we're going to get to why it's not called that Uh, (laughs) the next morning bro and dude get up and finally have a conversation about or and get up and have a conversation about unsafe sex while Sean Hunter wakes up in a cabin Um, dude and bro finally notice that he's missing and go to the police station but the cops tell him he has to wait 72 hours before filing a report Fran feels like this is a myth, and from listening to Obsessed with Disappeared, where Ellen Marsh calls police stations all the time because she's perfect, I know that it's a myth. And also, police stations will give you any length of time from straight away to three days. Mostly, it seems to get you to go away, um, unless you live in Breckenridge, Colorado, in which case they start looking for you before you're even gone. Um, 
Bro goes to hang out with Valeria um, and watch her do laundry. Um, sexy. Uh, I like to do that when my friends go missing as well. So, like, right. when my friends are missing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go watch this chick do laundry. It'll be fun. Listen, never miss the opportunity to watch somebody pair their socks. Yeah. I mean, so thrilling. <laughs> right up there with watching paint dry. Uh, Sean Hunter tries to appeal to his captor on a human level. Level, Randall, his captor, tells him that Papa will give his life meaning. And I was like, no, but thank you. Nah. <laughs> Sean Hunter tries to escape, but he gets caught. And, oh, Papa's here. Excellent. He's apparently dressed as El Chapo and all white along with his girlfriend. Papa tells Sean that he needs someone soft and makes a snide comment about Americans. And, bro, you were born in Miami, so settle down. Uh, some more stuff happens and dude and bro have a heart to heart I have no idea what that means but it sounds good I guess um, <laughs> I love you reading the notes of a movie you didn't watch so much it's basically what I'm going to do for the podcast from now on I'm going to make yes. someone else watch the movie and tell me about it and then I'm going to tell you what they said <laughs> I need it Okay, so my sister-in-law is living with us for a while. Shout out Amy because she listens. Um, part of her rent will now be that she has to write my notes. And you and I will just yes. blind read our notes for the rest of eternity. Yes! <laughs> I love that idea. It's amazing. So that when you have questions about the crime, I will have no idea. <laughs> um, this is the best idea we've ever had. What could go wrong? Um, Bro <laughs> tries to ride off into the sunset with Valeria, but she says no, so he takes her home. Um, she goes to her friend's apartment, who she finds ritualistically laid out and killed. Casual. Well, bragger. You don't have to show dude goes, off. Dude goes back to his room for painkillers. Um, he also got stabbed at some point. I don't know when or why. <laughs> <laughs> and some cult members break into his hotel room. He tries to get away, but he's skinny, hungover, dehydrated, and a Republican, so they catch him. <laughs> they hold him down, beat him, pray over him, and then chop his arms off and stab him to death. So, yay. That sounds excessive. Yeah. Sounds like too much. <laughs> I know. Also, like, what hotel is this? <laughs> Um, I hope they get three stars. <laughs> My arms got chopped if off. You don't get, if you don't get that joke, you have to join our page. Three stars. <laughs> got stabbed here. Would go back. <laughs> Rates were good. Yeah. Bro finds the body and realizes it's now up to him to, to save Sean Hunter. Um, Sean is now tied up naked and I just want to say while Fran was watching this movie she and I were texting as we do and she just wrote she said this one to she, our group yes, she's like he's naked I gotta go and I was like what and I just responded I feel like I've made a mistake <laughs> <laughs> I cackled and Sarah was like what and I was like I can't even begin to tell you what this like I None of this will not incriminate me if I read this to you. <laughs> um, 
he asks what what's happening, and Randall, who Fran has renamed Rudy McRedneck, tells him, Showtime, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to use the name Rudy McRedneck forever now. <laughs> um, El Chapo and his bride come back, this time in all black. Uh, Sean Hunter tries to get away, but instead, Papa instructs him that now they have to wake Chango. And the camera pans around to catch the fanfare from the cult members, and someone is filming this, which is just stupid. Like, how many times have we ha- do we have to tell you not to keep a murder scrapbook? Um, from Fran, quote, on God, or in this case, Chango, it's a fucking handheld 2007 vintage YouTube camcorder, and I've been laughing for 10 straight minutes. <laughs> Anyways, back to the film. Sean Hunter gets cleaved in the shoulder. He begins to pray out loud, Psalms 23, being a product of my own generation. Whenever I hear, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I think of Coolio and not life. the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Um, my Did youth I ever tell you the story so of, of that album in my life? No. Okay, so that song was popular when I was in the second grade, and I asked for it for my birthday, and I got it not once but twice because there were no rules in my family. I got the uncut album twice, wow. and so in the second grade. <laughs> I blasted the whole Coolio album uncut in my CD player, like, nonstop. And my mom walked by one time and she was like, what are you listening to? And I was like, you bought it for me! Like, Oh my god. How am I suddenly the one in trouble for this? Oh my god, that's amazing. Um... Papa starts praying to Chango, and Fran starts praying, and this Wait, no, I'm sorry. So, Ryder Strong is praying. Papa starts praying to Chango. And then Fran starts praying that this turns into a Clash of the Titans-style prayer off. Yes! <laughs> um, then they string Sean Hunter up upside down. Um, something else happens that Fran did not describe for my benefit and my benefit alone. Thank you. And Sean Hunter is dead. And that's why they didn't name this movie Ryder Strong Gets Kidnapped in this one. Oh, good. Um, a moment of silence for preteen Erin, who never thought she'd be describing the death of Sean Hunter on a podcast. Well. <laughs> I like to imagine a world where preteen Erin predicted what podcasts were and yeah. didn't somehow capitalize on it sooner. Totally, yeah. That would be just like me, too. Um, bro, <laughs> bro, Valeria, and this other exiled cop named Ulysses, um, who, note from Fran, he's been there for 15 minutes, and he only exists to give bro some insight on how they work and their location. Um, okay. Just storm into the place, and now this movie has turned into bro's first blood. It's a shootout. Note from Fran, quote, There are 10 minutes left in this movie, and I, if I didn't love you two so much, so help me, Chango, I am suffering here. <laughs> Rudy McRedneck pulls out a gun or puts a gun to uh, Valeria's head and tells Bro he likes to quote look into the cunt's eyes before he shoots um, don't panic though because Valeria beats him off of her and this is what happens when you call a woman the c word she beats the yeah. shit out of you 
Um, Bro also snaps and bludgeons Rudy to death. Then he and Valeria run off into the night, killing the last cult member who dares to go in their path along the way. They then swim across the Rio Grande in order to keep any remaining members from finding them? Ew. (laughs) This person is from Texas and has never researched any part of Texas. No. Um, The end card says, quote, four kilos of uncut cocaine were discovered by Mexican authority, along with cauldrons containing clumps of human hair. Excellent. One cult member was caught running a police blockade, and when questioned, he stated that human sacrifice and the power of Naganga had rendered him invisible. And wow, I hate to burst your bubble, but no. (laughs) Over 50 bodies were exhumed from a mass grave on the ranch property. Their brains and spinal cords had been removed. Unfortunately, that is not the last time I'm going to say the word spinal cord. So you're welcome. Um, Nope. That, that's a new phobia that I didn't need. Um, Bro and Valeria were questioned, and the case remains open to this day. Final note from Fran. I'm going to bed. I hate you people. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Fran, whatever your monthly salary is, I'm going to personally Nothing. triple. Yeah. Thank you for your hard work. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the true story? Um, well, this movie is based on Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, who was a Cuban-American serial killer, drug dealer, and cult leader who led an infamous occult gang in Matamoros, Mexico. For those following along from the movie, that's a six-hour and 15-minute drive from Galveston. (laughs) Great. The gulp. The gulp. The gulp. As it turns out, I'm not any better at pronunciation during the day. Um, the cult <laughs> was dubbed the narco-Satanist because we love to blame things on be- people being Satanists when Satanists are like the most chill people in the world. <laughs> right? Um, really, this cult is based on religion um, and people that believe in God, so whatever. Um uh, they, uh, Wikipedia also provided a Spanish spelling for narco Satanists, but um, I will not be providing a Spanish pronunciation, so you're welcome. Do it. Do <laughs> it. Do it. Constanzo's cult members were referred to him by the oh-so-unique name The Godfather, or El Padrino. He led the cult with a woman named Sarah Aldretti, who was nicknamed, you guessed it, The Godmother or La Madrina. The cult was involved in multiple ritualistic killings in Matamoros, including the murder of Mark Kilroy, an American student abducted, tortured, and murdered in 1989, who I'm going to assume inspired the movie that that I made Fran watch. A very brief history of Constanzo. He was born in Miami in 1962. His mom was 15. They moved to Puerto Rico, and during his childhood, he accompanied his mother on trips to Haiti to learn about voodoo. His family moved back to Miami in 1972, and he became apprenticed to a local source, to a local sorcerer and began to practice Palo Mayombe, Mayombe um, a religion which involves animal sacrifice. As an adult, he moved to Mexico City, where he met his first followers, 
they began a business casting good luck spells, which involved expensive ritual sacrifices of animals with faces. And I'm not going to tell you what kind, because it made me sad. Um, yeah, no thanks. A lot of his clients were super rich drug dealers and hitmen, along with some corrupt police officers, which is how he got involved with the Gulf Cartel. Eventually, Constanzo began to raid graveyards for human bones, but soon decided that the spirits of the dead that resided in his cauldron wanted live human sacrifices in order to be stronger, and so, he be and so began the murders, which escalated until the gang decided they needed the power of a brain from an American student, which is oddly specific. Um, um, and I, need you, I need you to not decide that, Colt. Yeah. Like, let's not... And Let's have a Snickers in, and regroup first. And culminated in the murder of Mark Kilroy. Mark was a pre-med student at UT Austin. He was vacationing in um, he was vacationing in South Padre Island uh, for spring break in 1989 when he was abducted by members of Constanzo's cult. Um, he was born on March 5th, 1968 in Chicago to his parents Jim and Helen. They moved to Texas soon after he was born. Mark grew up outside of Houston in Santa Fe, Texas. He was raised Catholic and excelled in both academics and athletics as a teen. He played basketball or he played baseball, basketball, and golf. He was also a Boy Scout and an honor student. After high school, he originally attended Southwest Texas, which is now Texas State University. Um, okay. But transferred to Tarleton on a basketball scholarship. He joined um, Lambda Chi and then decided to give up basketball, and transfer again to UT Austin to become a pre-med student and prepare for the MCAT. On March 10th, 1989, Mark and three friends headed to South Padre Island for spring break. The next day, they went to the beach, um, and both Mark and his friend Brad made calls to their parents sometime during that day. Later that evening, they met a group of ladies from Purdue and partied until the next morning. Um... The next morning, they headed back to the beach before attending a Miss Tan Line contest. Charming. Um, after this, Mark took a short nap before he and his friends left for Mexico. So uh, if you drive from SPI to Brownsville, you cross into Matamoros, um, which is a very short drive. Right. Not six hours. <laughs> right. Um, the friends spent their first evening in Mexico without any problems. Um, the next day, they attended another Miss Tanline competition, um, and then around 10.30 that evening, they headed back to Matamoros, crossing by foot um, over the bridge in Brownsville. That night, around 15,000 spring breakers were on the city's main tourist street, and all of the nightclubs were packed. Mark and his friends ended up at Los Sombreros first, and then headed to London Pub, which had rebranded itself a Hard Rock Cafe for spring break. Okay. Mark got separated from his friends. However, when they left the club around 2, um, his friends found Mark talking to a woman from the day's Miss Tanline contest. However, due to the large um, crowds of people, the group was unable to cross back over the border together. Mark and his friend Bill were going to cross together. However, Bill ducked into an alleyway to pee, and when he came back out, Mark had vanished. Mark had like been that. lured... Mark had been lured by a man in a red truck asking if he needed a ride. As he approached the vehicle, he was grabbed by two men and wrestled inside the truck. He broke loose at first, but was intercepted by another vehicle and taken again at gunpoint where he was subdued and handcuffed. He was driven to the city's outskirts where he was left overnight. His friends, meanwhile, searched for hours before crossing back to Brownsville thinking that maybe he had gone ahead without them. 
he was not there, so they waited a while and decided before deciding to return to SPI, um, thinking he had caught a ride with somebody else. Um, this is '89; like, there's no cell phones, so right. I mean, it's not totally outside the realm of possibility. And also, there are white dudes, right? And, The next morning, when he had still not returned, they contacted the police. Um, Twelve hours after the kidnapping, Constanzo and his men came to see Mark. They wrapped his face and mouth with duct tape and walked him through a field to a storage cabin where he was tortured and sodomized throughout the night. Mm. Um, Afterwards, he was led back into the field where he was killed by a blow to the back of his neck with a machete. Um, Great. It's about to get real gross. Um, no. Mm-mm. His brain was removed and boiled in the Naganga. Oh. His legs were chopped off to facilitate burial, and a wire was inserted into his spinal cord so they could pull Mm-mm. out the bones once the rest Mm-mm. of his body decomposed. Oh. Mm. Sorry. The cult's members then dug a hole and buried him. Um, back in South Padre, the search for Mark began as a typical missing persons investigation. As you can imagine, it's not entirely uncommon for someone to go go missing and turn up later completely unharmed, save for one hell of a hangover in Mexico. Um, Mark was actually one of 60 people that had disappeared in Matamoros during those first three months of 1989. Um, however, his case drew more attention because his uncle worked for customs in L.A., When he heard the news, a task force was created in Brownsville to search. Seeing that this could potentially cost them a shitload of money in tourism, the federales vowed to work the case as well. Both Mexican and U.S. authorities suspected foul play, thinking Mark had been the victim of either drug-related violence or a robbery gone wrong. However, there were no leads to bring them to any sort of conclusion. Mark's friends were asked to retrace their steps the evening of the disappearance, um, investigators searched jails and hospitals, and Bill was even hypnotized to see if he could remember anything else. Under hypnosis, he stated he saw a young man wearing a blue plaid shirt with a scar across his face talking to Mark before he disappeared. Investigators assumed at this point that Mark was kidnapped either for robbery or ransom, with robbery being the most likely since no one had contacted them demanding money, which is just crack police work, I'm telling you. Right. Authorities believe Mark's body was probably dumped in a remote location, so Border Patrol was called away from harassing immigrants for a few days to search with helicopters and ATVs for Mark's body. But it was, of course, not found. Mark's family and other friends from his hometown came came down and passed out more than 20,000 flyers offering a $15,000 reward to anyone who could help locate Mark. Outwardly, U.S. officials praised the efforts of the federales, However, they distrusted them, suspecting that there was someone involved on the inside. Yeah. (laughs) Um, On March 26th, the case was on America's Most Wanted, which gave it nationwide attention and generated a ton of tips. However, none of those tips uh, were enough to to, uh, pursue. On April 1st, 1989, a vehicle blew through a routine checkpoint near Santa Elena without stopping. The vehicle had crossed the border in Texas and sped through the Mexican Mexican Federal Highway 2, which connects Matamoros and uh, Reynosa. Um, The driver, Serafine, was the same man who had kidnapped Mark weeks earlier. 
a decision was made to follow the truck in an unmarked vehicle instead of pull it over. And I'd like to say because this was some kind of strategy, but I also want to say that this could be because they wanted to see if he was rich and they could bribe him before pulling him over. Uh, right. That is, a, that is definitely a thing that happens in Mexico. Um, no one could ever know, though, so that's all pure speculation on my part. Um, Seraphine unwittingly led them to the ranch where he stopped for about 30 minutes before heading back to the city. Officers decided to take a look around and discovered cult paraphernalia and marijuana traces. Again, instead of arresting him, the police decided to gather more evidence. I'm still suspicious of this, but I guess all's well that ends well. Um, using informants in uh, Matamoros, they were able to make a series of crucial arrests. On April 9th, Serafine, his uncle Elio, and cult members David Cerna, Valdez, Sergio Martinez Salinas, and Domingo Reyes Bustamante, the ranch's caretaker, were all taken into custody. Domingo identified Mark through a photograph stating he had seen him at the ranch pointing to the shack. When police interrogated Seraphine, he confessed to aiding in the murder as well as other murders that had taken place over the course of several um, months at the ranch. He went on to identify Constanzo and Aldretti as heads of the group, saying that Constanzo ordered the slayings as part of, part of a sacrificial ritual, believing the sacrifice ensured strength abundance and immunity from law enforcement and injury and how's that going for you i wonder right seraphine stated that mark had cho had been chosen at random after constanzo ordered the men to find a white anglo to sacrifice after which he led police to mark's grave <sighs> which was marked by the wire in his spinal cord so they would be able no. to pull out the bones and wear them as necklaces. No, I want you to stop talking about that. I prefer Tiffany's, but whatever. Um, on April 11th, Seraphine and the other suspects were brought back to Santa Elena, the ranch, to show police where the remains of other victims were. They were forced at gunpoint to spend several hours digging up the graves, which just cracked me <laughs> up. <laughs> Where, like, you know, here they'd be like, okay, thanks for pointing it out. Go sit in the car while we dig up these graves. No, they're like, dig, bitch. Right. <laughs> um, when they finished, 15 bodies, including Mark's, had been exhumed. All males who had been killed over a period of nine months. Most of the victims were rival drug dealers. However, three of the bodies were never identified. Police also seized 243 pounds of marijuana and 108 grams of cocaine, along with 12 firearms and 11 cars. Inside a an iron cauldron, a human brain, a goat's head, chicken feet, a turtle, some herbs, a horseshoe, and some coins were found mixed with animal blood. Nope, don't like that. Yeah. Um, there were no signs of cannibalism, which is supposed to to be a bright spot in this horrific story, I suppose, but it's really not. Um, on April 12th, this is the weirdest thing. The suspects were allowed to hold a press conference to answer questions for the media? And Why? that seems stupid. Um, they were also able to show off their membership scars. Um, and why Why were the 80s? I, <laughs> you want to you know how I got these scars? 
Like, I don't... It doesn't carry the same weight. <laughs> no. Um, two weeks after the bodies were exhumed, the Federales returned to the ranch and burned down the shack. Good for them. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Mark's murder brought about the downfall of Constanzo's cult. Big bummer. Um, by attracting national attention, he forced the Mexican government to hunt him down. And I don't like the word force, but it's Wikipedia, yeah. so I'm giving it a pass. Where they're like, oh, we were going to let you like kill people and practice your weird cult in peace, but then you killed an American, so now we, now we got to arrest you, man. Well, I mean, I'm not saying there were people on the inside in the Federales, but... Oh, I am. There are. I'm sure there were. And so I bet they were just turning a blind eye. I bet having the international attention did actually force it. Like, Oh, totally. We're going to get to it. Don't worry. Okay. Um, Constanzo took the dumbest route possible to escape, first fleeing to Brownsville before flying from McAllen back to Mexico City. This makes no sense, but, like, go off. <laughs> he drove all the way to Galveston before taking the ferry up to Wichita but Falls and then... I just, if you are running, look, if you're from Mexico and you're running from killing an American, I feel like America is the last place you should go. Specifically Texas, because we will kill you here. Uh-huh. And we don't feel bad about it. <laughs> um, at first it was believed that he may have been, he may have fled to Miami to be with his mother. And rumors began to pop up. They'd been seen in Chicago as well. Um, meanwhile, Aldretti was spotted in schools throughout the, the RGV, Rio Grande Valley, um, and rumors abounded that she vowed to kidnap a child for every jailed cult member. Which... Okay. Rumors of Constanzo being in Brownsville, Houston, Mexico City, basically everywhere began to swirl. On April 17th, police raided one of his homes in Mexico City. And this is so bizarre, but I had to include it because it is so bizarre. Um, They found a bunch of gay porn and a hidden ritual chamber, which I I have no explanation or additional information. Like, it's just (laughs) in the article. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, great. So... There are differing stories about how the following went down, but the outcome is the same. On May 6, 1989, police surrounded a building in Mexico City, either because they knew Constanzo was there or because they were responding to a completely unrelated dispute. Um, There's no way to know. So either way, Constanzo noticed them from the apartment in which he was hiding and opened fire on the officers. He also threw money at them. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, you just them. You throw a quarter <laughs> at them, and then when they're bending down to pick it up, you shoot them. However, after running out of ammunition and fearing his imminent capture, Constanzo ordered an associate to kill him. When police climbed the stairs and made it into the apartment, who should come out screaming but Sarah Aldretti? Um, De Leon, the associate who shot Constanzo, confessed that he had also participated in Mark's murder, as well as the other murders, um that took place in Santa Elena. Aldretti denied participation, stating that she was unaware of anything until she saw it on the news. Sure, Jan. She denied being in the cult and claimed, um, she denied being in the cult and claimed to be held prisoner during Constanzo's hiding. Seven more arrests of cult members, including Aldretti, 
were made that day, and the judge refused to grant them bail because they were wanted for crimes which accumulated over a 50-year sentence. On August 27, 1989, Oria Ocho, a suspected lover of both Constanzo and Aldretti, was admitted to the hospital in Santa Marta after being diagnosed with AIDS. He died on February 11, 1990, um, and while he was a rumored lover of both Constanzo and Aldretti, Aldretti was found to have no trace of the virus in her system, so... Okay. Um, June 2nd, 1989, Salvador Vidal Garcia Alcaron, a police chief of the Federal Judicial Police, was indicted for drug trafficking after being linked to Constanzo by Aldretti and other cult members, um, claiming he was their police contact. He defended his association with Constanzo, however, stating he was merely involved on the religion side of things because he was possessed with spirits. Oh, right, right. Gosh, I hate when demons possess me and make me be a cop and make me worship some weird religion and make mm -hmm. me kill people and then make me say that I was really just in it for the religion and then make me throw my friends under the bus. Yeah. On, in August of 1990, De Leon, the man who killed Constanzo, was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Two other associates were convicted of a separate murder charge and sentenced to 35 years in prison. Domingo, the ranch caretaker, was accused of the cover-up but released from prison on December 11, 1990 after paying a $500 bond. Now, this happened in 1922, where $500 is the equivalent of $9 million today? No, 1990, where $500 is probably the equivalent of, like, what? Like 800 today. Yeah. Um... Um, on May 3rd, 1994, Aldretti was sentenced to 62 years in prison. Elio, Serafine, Martinez Salinas, and Serna Valdez each received 67 years. In March of 1998, their sentences were reduced to 50 years in accordance with Mexican law. Um, it's super common because Mexico doesn't have a life sentence or the death penalty, so if you get sentenced to more than 50 years in prison, it's very common to appeal and get it knocked down to 50 because that's just gotcha. the way their law works. Yeah. Um, as of 2009, two suspects are still wanted in connection with Mark's murder. Most of those convicted have gone on to proclaim their innocence, whether on TV or in books, and to that I just say, no. Yeah, And no. that is the story of Borderland. I don't like it. Yeah. Thank you for that. I You're welcome. I immediately hate that I chose this idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what you get. All right. Well, I should have had research assistant Fran do my um, notes, at least for the movie, because while, yes, I have seen Scream, it was circa 1996. Like, it was the year that it came out that I saw it, and mm -hmm. I haven't seen it since. Yeah. Um. So... Um, my research assistant who wrote this summary um, is mine and your good friend uh, wikipedia.com .edu I know they're not .com but I always figure they are org I think um, so this is the plot taken directly from wikipedia awesome. but first um, Scream premiered in theaters December 20th 1996 it was directed by Wes Craven, and it stars a whole lot of nobodies. No one you've 
probably ever heard of. Um, no. David Arquette, Nev nope, Campbell, never heard of him. Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Drew Barrymore, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, Leave Schreiber, and there's even a cameo by Henry Winkler. Okay. Yeah, I've so, never heard of any of those people. Yeah, I know. They just super low budget film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, the plot as taken directly from Wikipedia. High school student Casey Becker receives a flirty phone call from an unknown person during which they discuss horror movies. And one thing I sure. have said, I was talking to my physical therapist about this this week, is that I loved how self-aware Scream was. Like, mm-hmm. for it to kind of, it took itself seriously, but at the same time, not seriously at all. And I loved that. Um, yeah. So, um, however, the caller turns sadistic and threatens her life. He reveals that her boyfriend, Steve Orth, is being held hostage on her patio and demands that she answers questions about horror films. And when Casey gets one wrong, Steve is murdered in front of her. Great. Yeah, so fun. Um, because <laughs> so if, if somebody took everyone I loved hostage and was like, you have to answer questions about a movie that you literally just watched or they'll die, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Rest in peace, all yeah. my friends. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, like, we could get to the end and they'd be like, what's the title of the movie you just watched? Uh, can I... Can I phone a friend? Can I phone a friend? I'd like to buy a vowel, please. For real. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, when Casey refuses to answer more questions, she is murdered by a masked person as her parents come home. Shortly after, they find her disemboweled corpse hanging from a tree. Great. And you know it's good when you get to use the word disemboweled. Disemboweled. I mean, it's right up there with spinal cord. Yep. The following day, the news, um, the news media descend upon the town and a police investigation begins. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Sydney Prescott struggles with the impending first anniversary of her mother Maureen's murder by her lover, Cotton Weary. While waiting at home for her friend Tatum Riley, played by Rose McGowan. I don't know mm-hmm. why I remember that that was Rose McGowan, but I do. Mostly because I was always in love with Rose McGowan. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney receives a taunting phone call. After she hangs up, she's attacked by the killer, but she evades him. Sydney's boyfriend, Billy Loomis, arrives shortly after, but he drops his cell... But after he drops his cell phone, Sydney suspects him of making the call and flees. Billy is arrested, and Sydney spends the night at Tatum's house, where she receives another ominous call. So the next day, Billy is released, and suspicion shifts to Sydney's father, Neil Prescott, as the calls have been traced to his phone. School is suspended in the wake of the murders... And after the students have left the school, the killer stabs Principal Hembry to death in his office. Rest in peace, Henry Winkler. Yeah. Tatum's boyfriend, Stu, throws a party to celebrate the school's closure, which just seems like a real bad idea. Like, listen, there's a murder on the loose. We have to shut school down. And it's yeah. a very 16-year-old thing. Let's have a party! Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, 
See, the party is attended by Sydney, Tatum, and their friend Randy, as well as many, many other students. Reporter Gail Weathers, which cracks me up because she sounds mm-hmm. like a weather lady. <laughs> and I'm Gail Weathers with today's forecast. It's going to be hot here in Atlanta. Um, so Gail Weathers uh, attends uninvited to cover the, the situation as she expects the killer to strike. Tatum's brother, Deputy Sheriff Dewey, also looks out for the murderer at the party. The killer mm-hmm. corners Tatum in the garage and murders her by crushing her neck with the garage door. And I have been scared of garage doors ever since. So I didn't grow up in a house with a garage. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm at 32 years old. I bought my first house with a garage. Yeah. So uh, I have... I've always been scared of like our garage that I currently live in. When I press the button, our little boy wants to run to the door and I know it's got a sensor and I've tried the sensor, but I see scream in my head every time he runs and I have mm-hmm. to catch him like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is so funny. So I grew up with a garage um, and the game was like to close the door, run out, not trip the sensor and be able to run out under the door. You know. Right, to try to Indiana Jones over the sensor, right. Yeah, and this is what we did before the internet. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, Billy arrives to speak to Sydney privately, and the two have sex while Dewey and Gail investigate the area nearby. Um, because, you know, what do you do when your best friend is murdered by a garage but have sex? I mean, sure, yeah. <laughs> and um, That's what I do. And, right. Many party attendees are drawn away after hearing the news of their principal's death, leaving only Sydney, Billy, Randy, Stu, and Gail's cameraman, Kenny. After having sex, Sydney and Billy are confronted by the killer who attacks Billy. Sydney narrowly escapes from the house and seeks help from Kenny, but the killer slashes his throat. Gail and Dewey, mm-hmm. having discovered an abandoned card that belongs to Neil Prescott, make their way back. Gail tries to escape in her van, but drives off the road to avoid hitting, hitting Sydney and crashes. Meanwhile, Dewey is stabbed in the back while investigating in the house, and Sydney takes his gun for protection. Okay. Stu and Randy appear and accuse each other of being the killer. Sydney <laughs> retreats into the house where she finds Billy wounded but still alive. She gives Billy the gun before he lets Randy before yeah before he lets Randy into the house and shoots him. Um. And that is when she handed him the gun is when I went, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Like, that was when I figured out the first time I watched it that Billy was actually the killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Billy reveals that he feigned his injuries and he's actually the killer. Um, with Stu shortly outing himself as his accomplice. Billy and Stu discuss their plan to kill Sydney and pin the murder spree on her father, whom they have taken hostage. The oh, pair sure. also reveal that they murdered her mother and framed Cotton for it as she was having an affair with Billy's father, um, which drove his mother away. Like, also, Bailed. I just want to tell you, when you're, when you're teenage boys, can't go wrong. I mean, really, all your plans are going to fall right into place. I, every time. Um, every Gail, time. who I just called Bail for no apparent reason, even though I'm 
looking at the word. <laughs> Excellent. Gail, who survived the crash, intervenes, and Sydney takes advantage of this to turn the tables on her attackers, knocking Billy out with an umbrella and dropping a television set on Stu's head, killing him. <laughs> and uh, how hard is this umbrella? Like, did she just hit him just right? Like, yeah. I've ne- I've never had an, an umbrella that would deal that kind of damage. Mine, the wind blows too hard and they crack in half, even the expensive ones. <laughs> Billy then awakens and attacks Sydney, but Gail shoots him. Randy is revealed to be wounded but alive and remarks that the killer always resurfaces for one last scare. Sydney takes the gun and shoots Billy in the head, killing him for good. As the sun rises and police arrive, Dewey, badly injured, is taken away by ambulance, and Gail makes an impromptu news report about the night's events. Yeah. So, that is Scream. The best part is the impromptu news report. It's like, oh! <laughs> right. Hold She's like tattered just survived, just survived being killed, but uh, I, I got alive. <laughs> I almost died, but this is Gail Weathers, and your forecast yes. is... I didn't die. It's looking sunny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, so now the story that inspired it. Mm-hmm. This is a quote from. Um, oh, I used all that's interesting and. Um, what's that website that we really love that always has really good information and they use it a lot on and that's why we drink and I meant to write down my sources and I didn't. Murderpedia. Uh, Mm-mm. Um, Mental flaws. Vanity Fair. No, I do love Vanity Fair, though. I don't know. I'll find it in just a second. Um. Do, 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 do. I'm gonna sing for you while you look for this website. I You're welcome. love that so much. Please do. Mm. Um, no, I can't think of it right now, and I didn't write it down, which is unlike me. Uh, but I used all that's interesting, and then this other website that will come to me because it I've will. used it a lot in the past, and Christine uses it a lot also. Um, but this was a quote from one of those two articles. Um, mm-hmm. It said, quote, In March 1994, a struggling actor and screenwriter named Kevin Williamson became engrossed in a news program about a drifter who terrorized the town of Gainesville, Florida with the murder of five college students over three days in August of 1990. The Gainesville Ripper. Uh-huh. Um. I just realized that since I copied and pasted that quote, I could probably just copy and paste that quote in the search bar and then get my source back. Probably. Oh, you know what? I abandoned the other place. This is biography.com that I stole this one from. Okay. So, so biography.com and all that's interesting are the two that I used, wound up using. Excellent. Um, spooked, he hammered out the screenplay for what became Scream, the successful 1996 fright flick that was celebrated for its knowing winks at horror film tropes. Mm -hmm. tropes and breathing new life into the genre 
But while Scream provides plenty of slashing scares, in the end, its story of Sidney and the masked killer bears only a passing resemblance to that of Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper, whose life of Mm -hmm. violence and despair would present a difficult task for any screenwriter to depict. I'm sorry, you forgot the biggest star of Scream? Courtney Cox's bangs. (laughs) Remember when she had those bangs that were like super short? (laughs) (sighs) She's hoping we don't remember those. I, well, she's wrong. She, she's unfortunately incorrect. We do. <laughs> right. um, so, as I mentioned to you, since we were doing all these um, spooky things for the month of October this year, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do Louisiana specific because as we did ghost stories, Louisiana is haunted as an entire state. Yeah. Um, but... Danny Rowling was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, where I live. Oh, okay. Local work here. Um, Yeah. His father was a police officer for Shreveport named James Rowling, Mm -hmm. who told Danny that he was unwanted from birth and who abused his mother, Claudia, and his brother, Kevin. So he was a real peach. Yeah, he sounds like a really, really nice dude. Yeah. Danny was only one year old when his father abused him for the first time. One year old. One year old. He was beaten because he wasn't crawling properly. Great. I. That is a perfectly good reason to beat a child, a baby. And, you know, um, Dr. Sarah is, in fact, a pediatrician. Um, Yes. So... I will. I meant to ask her if that is one of the methods for helping children crawl correctly is to just beat them. I don't think it's pediatrician recommended, but I just wanted to follow up with her. I want to go on a limb and say no. I, I think I remember it from a parenting book, maybe like Doctor Sears. I'm kidding. I did not. I did not read that <laughs> parenting book. This would be like perfectly clear. Um. So when Kevin. Danny's younger brother was born in 1955, the abuse worsened. Mm-hmm. In one incident, Danny's mother went to the hospital after claiming her husband tried to make her cut herself with a razor blade. Sure. Okay. Claudia tried to escape the toxic, toxic marriage, but time and time again she returned. When Danny failed the third grade for too many absences due to illness, his mother eventually had a nervous breakdown. Danny's school counselors described him as, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. But there's no, to be fair, I know it's the 50s and 60s and that education's not the way it is now. But, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they did a whole lot to help when they noticed all of this. Because, like, if I noticed a kid with all of this, there there would have been a lot more mentoring going on on my end. Just so. Yeah, um, it was the 50s. So. <laughs> By age 11, Danny Rowling picked up music to cope with his abusive father. He played guitar, and he wrote and sang hymn-like songs. Um, about this time, his mother was committed to a hospital after she'd slit her wrists. Oh my gosh, okay. Danny then uh, picked for, up... For on purpose or... Undetermined. After being forced to. Great. Undetermined. Excellent. 
Danny then started doing drugs and alcohol, which only worsened his already fragile mental state. Did you just call it doing I, alcohol? Yeah, because it was started doing drugs is what I was saying, and then I tagged on alcohol. Um, turn, I'm going to have to do some alcohol after this. Listen, <laughs> listen I need um, and marijuana, please. <laughs> I would like one marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the age of 14, Danny's neighbors caught him peeping into their daughter's room. You. When his father found out, his dad sat him down and was like, listen, I understand that you're curious, but that's not how we do things. And, you know, they just had a real good talk. And, you know, he was like, you can come to me for anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or he just beat the shit out of him. Of course. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. There it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, so Danny, um, Danny's tr- Started trying to work at the age of 16. He struggled to hold any steady work. Um, and so Why? he eventually in yeah, he eventually enlisted in the Navy or he eventually enlisted. He tried the Navy, but they wouldn't take him. So he joined the Air Force. Um, mm-hmm. But he found that the military didn't help either. Um, and he was eventually kicked out of the Air Force in 1972 after getting busted for drug possession. Okay. After being discharged, he went to live with his grandfather, and for a time, um, he found a little bit of stability. He was attending a church. He had a job. Mm-hmm. He started dating and eventually married a woman um, named... The, uh, so, the name that I found was Omather Halco. And I don't know if I left off her first name or, like, if her first name is a last name. Because it's, like, O-apostrophe yeah. Mather. Like, like an Irish last name. Like O'Malley, you know? Interesting. I don't know. Um, so, together, the couple had a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the cycle of abuse continued. Of course. At the age of 23, after being with his wife for four years, she separated from him after he threatened to kill her. So he um, became enraged and um, basically went on a rampage and found a woman who closely resembled his wife and raped her. Great. Uh Uh-huh. And then later that year... He killed a woman in a car accident, and I don't have any information as to, like, whether he was driving recklessly or if he was drunk or what, but his... Yeah, that's different. Yeah, he just... Whatever he did resulted in a woman dying, and um, that is said to be the inciting incident that kind of led to his, like, full snap. Okay. Um, Makes sense, I guess. So he spent the next few years in and out of jail... Um, he embarked on several armed robberies through the South. Um, mm-hmm. In the 1980s, um, basically more of the same thing. He was in and out of jail in Alabama and Mississippi. He broke out of jail several times and had to be recaught. Um, and what is like him, Ted Bundy, like they just leave the door unlocked and they're like, I don't know how these people keep escaping. <laughs> right. 
Um, and then his time between stints in jail, he was traveling the country, breaking into houses, stealing, and then raping women. So, you know, plundering. Yeah, why not? great. Mm-hmm. So, in 1989, he returns to Shreveport, um, and he takes a job in a restaurant where he was fired by November of that year. Um, and so okay. that night, you know, like, you know, Aaron, when you are fired from a job that you only kind of, you don't even really like, but you just needed the money, so you took this job. Then you get fired, sure. so you go out and you kill three people in your rage. Like, we've all done it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that night he broke into the home of 24-year-old Julie Grissom um, and he murdered her as well as her 8-year-old nephew, Sean, and her 55-year-old father, Tom. Um, When police got to the scene, Julie was found with bite marks on her body and her body was arranged with her legs spread on the bed. Okay, again with like the, the Ted Bundy like similarities. What what is with the biting? I don't know. It's fucking weird. Um the following May, Rowling got into another argument with his father. Um, but this time he pulled out a fucking gun and shot his father in the stomach and the head. Okay. And then he took off running. His father survived, but lost an eye and an ear. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, Rowling fled to Kansas and Florida, arriving eventually in Gainesville. Great. So in Gainesville, Danny changed his identity with papers that he stole after breaking into someone's house. Um, he took a bus to... Oh, so he stole the papers in Shreveport um, and started to live life as Michael Kennedy Jr. um, Mm -hmm. Because he started changing all of his stuff like on the bus to Sarasota from the paperwork he'd stolen at this house. Um, So on August 24th of 1990, so less than a year after the triple homicide, he broke into the home of Sonia Larson and Christina Powell, who were both incoming freshmen like days away from starting their freshman year at University of Florida in Gainesville oh my okay Rowling followed them home broke into their house and um and was just bigger than them and could overpower them easily um so this was the start of what became known as the streak of the Gainesville Ripper um he covered both of their mouths with duct tape before he bound their hands. He forced one young woman to um, perform oral sex on him before he raped, stabbed, and killed her. Then he returned to the other's dead body and raped her again. Um, and then he <sighs> cut off their nipples. Ah! Mm-hmm. I okay, God, you got mad at me for spinal cord. Ugh. I'm sorry, I forgot about Undo that. Undo it. Like my brain blocked that part. Ah. Um. So the next day, Rowling killed Chris, uh, Krista Hoyt in much the same fashion. He broke into her residence and did almost the same thing, including the trophy. 
Um, but he placed them on the bed beside her. He didn't want to keep them. Then he decapitated her and left her head on the edge of the bed for the police to find. No, left it on the bookshelf for the police to find. Sorry. Ew! Yeah, uh uh-huh. So, by now, news of these murders had spread across the university, and authorities put out as much information as they could to try to catch the suspect, and the students were told to sleep in groups and to take every precaution that they could imagine. Um, Despite this, Gainesville Ripper killed one more time. Um, He attacked Tracy Paulus and Manuel uh, Toboada, who were 23 years old. He mm-hmm. killed Manuel while he slept. Then he killed Tracy. Authorities feel that Rowling did not manage to mutilate these bodies because he realized he was in danger of getting caught or was somehow otherwise interrupted. Okay. Um, so these murders all occurred less than two miles from each other and all within walking distance from University of Florida Gainesville. Yikes. Um. So the university canceled classes for a week and students walked to class with like baseball bats with them everywhere they went and no one went out alone during the day or like during the night or even during the day. Everyone was always in groups. Um, Students triple locked their doors. They slept in shifts so that someone was awake at all times. Yeah. Um, By the end of August, thousands of students had left campus and about 700 never came back because they feared for their lives. I don't blame them. I don't either. Um, Danning Rowling's father, who was a 20-year veteran cop of of Shreveport Police Department, um, had not only taught his son how to take all, all of his abuse, you know, all of his life, but also had taught Danny how to cover his tracks. Great. So he just absorbed everything he'd ever learned from his dad about crimes and put that to use for his own benefit. Um, Awesome. So police couldn't find enough evidence at crime scenes to implicate Danny Rowling. Instead of leaving the duct tape on his, on the bodies, he disposed of it in dumpsters to get rid of any fingerprints. Um, He used cleaning solvents on the dead bodies to remove traces of semen. Some female bodies were left in sexually suggestive positions, which offered authorities a clue on the killer's methods, but that's about as much as they had. Great. Um, after his five-person killing spree, he did continue to steal from homes and gas stations and was finally caught in Ocala after a high-speed chase. He was wanted for the robbery of a Winn-Dixie as authorities still had not tied him to the Gainesville Ripper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was two weeks after the murders. So okay. when he was finally taken into custody for this armed robbery of the Winn-Dixie, um, mm-hmm. Louisiana police heard about the arrest and had already tied him to the murder, to that triple homicide, but he'd fled right. and they couldn't track him. Um, so Louisiana alerted Florida authorities of this triple homicide and noted that there were similarities between the murders 
um, in Gainesville and those of um, William Grissom and his daughter Julie and his grandson Sean. Um, the, because the family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing for dinner right. and then Julie's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and then posed kind of ritualistically. So an investigator on the case in Florida traveled to Shreveport to meet with Shreveport Police Department and because of the mm-hmm. similarities of the murders in Gainesville and the murders in Shreveport, they conclu- they um, concluded they must be related and these things included the posing of the victims, tape residue on the bodies, and vinegar used to clean the body. Um, they said that they tested the body fluids from the perpetrator in Shreveport and found that the person also had type B blood. He called the match to the evidence in Gainesville the match to the evidence in Gainesville a revelation in the case. Um, so it was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it was enough to tie Danny Rowling to both, at least enough to hold him on further charges while they did more investigation. Okay. Um, so shortly after the detective had traveled to Shreveport, a Shreveport resident called Crime Stoppers and reported that Danny Rowling was also connected to um, was possibly connected to the murders in both cities so now they had a like a citizen reporting the name so they could ha- you know have now they're building yeah. like a circumstantial case because they can't really do much else um, so mm-hmm. she said that she'd heard the news report about a string of murders as she traveled through Florida and the report made her think about Danny Rowling who she had met at her um, church here in Shreveport and mm-hmm. that his possible link to the three murders in Shreveport. Um, she said that Rowling had made some deeply disturbing statements to her and her then husband. She said, quote, he'd come over every night for a while. And then one night Stephen came in and he goes, he's got to go. Um, and um, she said that her husband told her that, Danny had a problem and I said what kind of problem and he said quote he likes to stick knives into people ah. <laughs> and I was like why did y'all call people a long time ago <laughs> like, yeah um, so the woman said that she dismissed these as comment these comments when she heard about them because she didn't want to believe that Danny could be responsible for the triple murder Um, And that Danny told her, quote, one day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. Okay. So the news of the Gainesville murders just ate at this woman until she finally contacted police based on her hunch. Um, So based on this hunch... um, Oh, sorry, I just retyped the same sentence twice. That was stupid. Um, she said, it would not let me rest. One day I picked up the phone, I called Crime Stoppers, and I said, I think there's one guy y'all need to investigate. His name's Danny Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Because of... Because he'd recently been arrested for that high-speed chase, because mm-hmm. of his, because of that Crime Stoppers tip, and because the unsolved triple murder looked a lot like the Gainesville murders, they tied mm-hmm. him all together that way. Um, and okay. so they tested his blood because in Shreveport they'd had that type B blood 
and they found that he also had type B blood. And that's how they okay. wound up tying this all together. Um, right. Which is like, that feels like a lot of police work, more than I've ever heard of them doing ever. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my God, we actually, well, you know, after that they were tired and they were like, okay, we, we're done doing police work forever after this right. one. Too much so work. In, in November 1991, Rowling was charged with several counts of murder. Um, Rowling okay. was brought to t- trial nearly four years after the murders. He claimed his motive was to become a superstar similar to Ted Bundy. I, I don't think he knows what superstar means. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. This is like fame or infamy. Know the difference. Yes, please. Um, so in Children 1990- from the bling ring. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but in 1994, before his trial started, Rowling unexpectedly pled guilty to all charges. Okay. So instead, his um, he went straight to the penalty phase. And during this trial, Court TV conducted an interview with Rowling's mother, um, during which his father could be heard shouting off camera. Um, Great. <laughs> right. So, on April 20th, 1994, Rowling was sentenced to death. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia. Okay. That's a lot of things. Yep. Um, Shortly before he was executed in Florida for the series of killings in Gainesville, he claimed responsibility for the Shreveport murders. handing his spiritual advisor, Reverend Mike Hudspeth, and Florida police a handwritten confession and apology. I'm so sorry that I raped and killed that family. Uh, I My didn't bad. Mean, I didn't mean to. Uh, can I, I apologize. Love, Danny. Oh, Love, XOXO. <laughs> In a written statement made shortly before his execution, he confessed to the murders of the Grissom family like for the media a total of 47 people many of whom were relatives of his victims witnessed the execution of the Gainesville Ripper which is double the capacity of the viewing room okay yep they just like made an afternoon of it also that's that you can't read a single news report of him where they don't tell you what his final meal was and quite frankly I don't give a fuck what his final meal was Well, humor me, because I want to know. Oh, I'll pull it back up. It was, like, lobster. And, like, I don't think... Oh, wait, is this this the guy that's the reason why you can only spend so much money on your final meal now? Maybe. Um, Because it was lobster and shrimp and... um, Oops. Well, it would help if I could actually spell. Sure. There we go. His final meal was lobster tail, butterfly shrimp, a baked potato, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. And what? Sweet Sweet tea. tea. Fucking... 
Louisiana bullshit. I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, okay, like I. So you know, I'm torn on the death penalty because I wholly don't support it. Yeah. I don't like, support it just because I feel like we've put so many innocent people to death. We should just chill the fuck out. See, and like, yes, that. Um, and I also feel like it just puts such a big strain on our legal system because, at least in Texas, yeah. I don't know how it works in other states. In Texas, if you get the death penalty, you're automatically granted a uh, mm-hmm. an appeal. Um, and I'm sure it's that way in many states. That have I think it. you're granted more than one, and also it's way more expensive to put someone on death row and kill them than it is to just put them in prison for the rest of their life. Right. You and that's it here a, first. Like, it's so expensive that it's such a strain on our full legal system, the, and also our it is, prison system and it's needs not, real reform. Like, and they don't just like take you out back and shoot you. Like, there's a whole like there's a whole thing, and it's very expensive. So. Um. But I also don't think they should get a catered meal if they've no. been that egregious. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Texas, you have, like, you have, like, a spending, I don't know, there's something. Um, well, speaking of Texas and um, death row, mm-hmm. um, do you remember my um my uncle who died right after we became friends and my Uh mom kicked that nurse out of his room who wound up being an angel of death nurse yeah he Mm -hmm. was just sentenced to death last week okay um no i'm sorry his formal sentencing was yesterday um okay so he was he got the death penalty which means he will start the whole appeal process pretty Appeals. soon mm-hmm. um and he, they my, did not he did not he like he was not in involved in your uncle's death correct no my uncle died of kidney okay. failure my uncle okay. had been on dialysis for years and had not taken yeah. care of his diabetes like i was pretty mom, sure but i yeah <laughs> my mom was convinced that he was and i was like mom yeah like no a kidney failure is kind of a peaceful way to go, so like, mm-hmm. just take it. But B, no, mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, so my mom sure did scream at him in the middle of the hospital and at two in the morning. Um, like she called. Oh, I don't know that I told you about this phone call because this was a recent development. She watched oh this trial because, you know, she's working from home now. She watched yeah, yeah. this trial <laughs> every day. And she was like, Paul, I just can't turn it off. I'm just, he's got a real justice has to be served, Paul. And then it got to the last day of the trial before they started sentencing. And she was like, or before they came back with the verdict, you know. Um, or maybe they'd already done the verdict and it was the sentencing trial i don't remember where we were in this whole process but she was like um paul i just realized that they have cameras in the hospital and i was like yeah and she was like what if they show me what if they show me talking so ugly to him in the hospital and i was like well mom if he's if he's up for 
murder and there's significant evidence against him i think the least of their concerns are that you told him to get the fuck out of the room and she was like for sure <laughs> she was like paul sure. what if what if it's they not like show the defense me? Is gonna get up there and be like be like well this one lady this <laughs> look at what this one lady said to him of course he was an angel of death but she was like what if they show this video of me yelling and i was like mama if they show that video of you and she goes you know what let them play it maybe it'll make sure he goes to jail longer and i was like mama if they play it if they play it she's like i'm gonna go viral and i was like and when you do i demand exclusive interview on my podcast viral (laughs) well we'll look who got up hi little chicken judy She's trying to climb on her tree. She's been sleeping in my bed the whole this whole time. So yes, my mom's been a long time concerned that they were going to play this video of her screaming in the middle of the night. Like they're like, why would we need a character witness when we have this clearly unhinged woman <laughs> screaming in the middle of the hallway? And I, I was like, mom, you're aware that they also have to play the video of him actively. Like they'd spent three days playing video of him watching his patients crash to not doing anything. Like yeah. nothing they play next to that is going to matter. No, no. <laughs> it, you know, I read this article last night. I, I, I guess they interviewed on CNN some of the jurors from the Derek Chauvin trial. And okay. I mean, I had to read this because the art, the headline was fucking dumb. Okay. It was like, like the moment that the jurors knew that Chauvin was guilty. And I was like, the, was it the it fucking nine minute video? I, like, <laughs> I, I can't. Um, spoiler alert. It was the nine minute video where he murdered someone <laughs> that, that did it for them. Right. Weird. Ugh. <laughs> I hate everything. Same. <laughs> also, they're all in therapy, and I hope the state of Minnesota is paying for that because, oh my God. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, we talked about our books at the top, which was different for us, but it was nice because uh, normally we would ask now what you're reading. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any podcast recs? No. Mm-mm. Okay. What Christmas movies are you watching this weekend? I'm not sure, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> it is just, yeah, just. I've been kind of just uh, on the outs, just sleeping a lot. So I understand. <laughs> All right. Well. Yep. Um. Oh. Um. How about you? Tell me there something. There is a Christmas movie. I don't know if it's already come out. I've set my DVR to just take care of all the Christmas movies for me. Mm-hmm. There is a Christmas movie coming out with a girl who plays violin that I have to watch. That was last weekend, I think. I think so, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tonight, as we're recording this, is Christmas in Harmony, um, which actually looks really cute. Um, mm-hmm. And it's um, it's an all black cast or mostly black cast, and like Hallmark, yes. there you go. Um, yeah. And they're singing, and I'm excited for this. So. Yeah. Um, let's see. That movie that you're thinking of was last weekend. It was called 
La da da da. Oh, I'm past the Shears movies. Hold on. And um, Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child is in Christmas in Harmony. So. Oh, nice. Um. So this movie. What the frackety frick? That's that's what it's called. What the frackety frick? Thank you. It is actually uh, Christmas in My Heart with uh, yes. Luke McCharmin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. Add to my list. Um, it looks really good, and so I recorded that, and I haven't watched it, but it also comes on again this Sunday. So. That's great. Um, oh, oh! Now, and if you have, do you have the Hallmark Christmas movie app? Yes, I do. I was just on it. There are reviews now. You can oh. read other people's reviews of the movie. I don't need to know what other people think. <laughs> if what it's off the deck, the Hallmark guys, I don't care. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, Aaron, thanks for hanging out with me. It has been a solid two and a half hours today. It has. Um, and I will holler at you later. Everybody, Hello. stay safe. Uh, this will come out Wait, after where Halloween. where can they find so, us? Uh, oh, um, you know, you can find us on um, Facebook at facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. We've gotten a lot of new likes lately. Facebook, like, yeah. Thank What's you up? for that. Um, at Instagram at Lifetime Sentence. Mm-hmm. On Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. Mm-hmm. At patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. You can mm-hmm. find our website with episode notes at uh, and merch at lifetimesentence.com. And yep. uh, shoot us an email either from our website or at podcast at lifetimesentence.com. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to say this comes out after Halloween. So if you got the candy that that woman on TikTok said has been cursed by witches, um, uh-huh. eat double. You know, which yeah. candy's got to be good. Um, and if your candy is drugs, like, thank your lucky stars, because yeah, that doesn't happen. If you're in one of those bougie neighborhoods where they give out crystal meth instead of candy, <laughs> let me know where that is. Okay, maybe not crystal meth. Let's not do meth. That's not good. I just want to know what... No, I don't want to do it. I just want to know, like where that is because I've still not heard I of mean, a single instance where this actually happens meth is not a bougie drug so <laughs> um, but I think you gotta be bougie neighbors to are wrap it out. up in candy foil no um, <laughs> if your neighbors are giving out like edibles call me because I want to yeah, know where that is absolutely sure. if your neighbors are giving out <laughs> edibles we are there if they're giving out meth, I don't want to know where that is. You I want to know just because I, I, <laughs> I want to know. Like, I'm not visiting. I just want to know where are they handing out drugs? Because Dare taught me that people are going to be offering me drugs at every corner. I know. I, no one has ever offered me free drugs. It's just really disappointing. <laughs> free drugs and quicksand were supposed to be a much larger problem in my adult life. For real. It's really <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, everybody, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. Bye.